0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Matter. Hello and welcome to this episode of Matter, where I'm talking to Dave James. Dave was originally a nurse and then a podiatrist, owned his own business, podiatry business, but in more recent years works as a coach. Uh, Dave agreed to come talk to me about the subject of anger. a brave brave ask or brave response to agree to talk about anger um because and uh, then as we talk about on the podcast it's perhaps the top of the emotions that we consider unacceptable um something perhaps we shouldn't display or if we do display it then we don't uh, shout about it and put it on our cv um Dave talks about his own personal experience of anger and, and how that became a go-to emotion for him, the impact of that in his life, um, largely his personal life, but also his professional life. Uh, we talk about ways to um to process and handle anger. Um, but also we touch on anger in healthcare and whether that's whether it's acceptable in any way to have healthcare have anger as part of your identity or your um, working practice as a healthcare. Really interesting topic and Dave was uh, very open and honest and human, didn't hold back in his responses, which I really appreciate and um, I hope you'll enjoy the episode. I will be back at the end. So hello and welcome to the latest episode of You Matter. As usual, I've forgotten what number episode it is, and I've given up pretending that I know what episode it is. its I, don't know, I was going to say it's 20-something, it might even be 30. Anyway, welcome to the latest episode, where I am delighted to welcome Dave James, who is a podiatrist. Hi, Dave. Thank you so Hello. much for joining me. Now, I've just said to Dave that rather than some kind of official bio, I'd love to introduce him with the four things that he puts on the footer for all his LinkedIn posts, and I love these. So at the end of all Dave's posts on LinkedIn, it says, Hi, I'm Dave. I help healthcare professionals to enjoy life, relationships, and business. Coaching with real language and minimal cliches, because sometimes coaching language is a bit meh. Really. I also probably write too much personal stuff in my posts. <laughs> I always smile and juggle when I read those. Um, and I definitely identify with the last two. Um, the thing it doesn't say in there, David, is that you were once a podiatrist. Um, and am I right in thinking you don't actually practice podiatry at all anymore?
1: No, I'm still I'm still registered with the... Uh, every time I think so I'm going to say HCPC, there's going to be little trumpets come out and angels make a oh, noise. So I'm still <laughs> registered with the HCPC and I'll keep that going for a while. But I actually went this year... On my Royal College of Podiatry Insurance, I went non-practicing. Because I was only practicing three times a year anyway, and those three times were with, with homeless, so with a with charity that I've been part of called Forgotten Feet. Um, I haven't practiced clinically as a podiatrist full-time since. get my dates right on this. January, something like January the 14th or 15th, 2019. And I know that's very precise um, just after I sold my business. So, yeah, so non-practicing.
0: And you are a coach. Um, Yes. That's how I sort of came across you on LinkedIn. We've shared a few sort of um, moments where we agree on things and uh, we sort of liked lots of the same things and we had a conversation. And then um, you very bravely, I think, um, have agreed to come and talk on this episode around the subject of anger. And the reason I say brave is not because I'm about to talk to you with any hideous questions or try and expose things that you don't want me to expose. <laughs> but I would say brave because my reflection is mostly that as human beings, and I would say particularly as health professionals, anger isn't something that we particularly feel we should be shouting about and putting on our profile. I'm a really angry person, being super proud of it. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a slightly touchy subject. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and if we look at you haven't been a nurse before, registered with the NMC, have to get this is going back in time and testing my memory. The, there's so much around this this professionalism thing, which it's twenty four seven. You're a nurse, you're a podiatrist, you're a physio. You you are that twenty four seven, and anything you do in your time outside of your clinical work, you're still judged by the same standards. So to talk about anger and and to openly talk about it was was certainly a big thing when I when I did start talking about it it was it was kind of very a, a, a very interesting place of vulnerability of well actually if I say this what's going to happen? what are people going to think of me? am I suddenly going to be you know find that the, the HcPC strike me off there, there was quite quite an interesting amount of a sort of fear and anxiety with that yeah it's a very very big thing
0: yeah I mean when we talk about being vulnerable which we, we do talk about and hear about a lot, you sort of get this idea of being sort of quietly admitting things that are a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, not saying, yeah I'm I'm a really angry person, or I've had issues with anger. Would you mind um, telling us a little bit of your story and your history with anger?
1: Mm. And what I will say actually is 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 being vulnerable can be that small stuff as well. Yeah. you know, it does it. It doesn't. I mean, I I have a I have a tendency, and this is this probably fits in with the anger. I have a tendency to be all the way over here and scared and fearful and meek little Dave, and I'm not I'm not a small bloke by any means. And then I'll oh, let's just go and keep the doors down and see what happens. It's it's the, there's very little grey area for me in some respects. Um, so for for me sharing my my story around anger, the first time I shared it openly was apart from you know people close to me who knew about it. First time I shared about it was on stage. I actually went on stage and did a did a six minute speech about it, uh, and my mom and dad were in the audience, which was quite a sort of a uh, moment. But it was it, it was exactly the right thing to do at the right time. But to to answer that question you just asked, so I've done a lot of I've done a lot of thinking about this over over the last few years. I, I very openly came out and talked about it in twenty eighteen, but I, I'm now. I'm kind of in therapy at the moment, which is which is some of the best, some of the best stuff I've ever done. Just just having conversations with people, because we don't have many people around us necessarily. We can have these open conversations with in a non judgmental way. And a therapist is is absolutely fantastic for that. Um so I've been exploring where my my anger stemmed from. And and there's a couple of things. So I was born with Spine bifida during a club foot so I had quite a lot of hospital stuff up until sort of school age and from school age onwards, two major operations prior to school. I wasn't particularly good physically at sports. I was always the one picked last at school. You know, it's that, it's that kind of cheesy story. Everyone comes out with you. I was picked last and, you know, for football and, and, and I was most of the time. And then, When I was 14, so back in 1988, and this is one thing I speak about, and I'm speaking about tomorrow night, actually, at a Professional Speaking Association event. Um, When I was 14, in in the February of 1988, there was a classmate who was abducted and murdered. Um, A young man called Stuart Goff, and this is in Hagley, in in Worcestershire, North Worcestershire, and that was one of those things which does change a whole... It changes a whole community. And... The the line I use when I speak is it is it flipped us all from being you know children to adults in one go, and the universe didn't even apologise for it. So I went very quickly from being a six foot two child to being a six foot two adult with, without any kind of without any kind of preparation. And while. There's a lot of stuff I don't really remember around that time, and I think there's a lot of stuff about my childhood I don't really remember. And that's not because I had a really shitty childhood; I had a really great childhood. But I just think there's things which don't really stand out for me then. But I know at that point that's where my anger started to to show, and and I've got a very early memory of of around that time of of losing my temper over something. I don't know what it was. I don't I have no idea what it was at all. I was at home with with my parents. And almost coming out of this episode, and finding that my bed was leaning against the wall, and I was like, I don't know how that got there, and that was that was quite worrying. And my my parents are, are fantastic. I live two doors down from my parents. They are they are wonderful people. And and there's a there's a lot. And I'm jumping around a little bit here, but there's a there's a lot of interesting stuff around trauma and and how you integrate trauma and integrating trauma with good parenting is one of those things. You know, hugs and love and all that kind of stuff. But my parents were very – they kept very, very narrow in terms of their praise. They they were not overly praising and they were not underly praising because they didn't know how I was going to respond. And so that anger would show up and and really in frustration. And and there's a lot for me around wanting to be heard and and having a voice and – being a teenager and all all of the usual stuff which goes on and 14 years old is that time when your brain's quite sort of pliable and bendy and there's there's lots of lessons being learned and so that anger just just followed through and it was never it was never against people and i'll say that now because i've be some people watching this and listening to this going yeah i bet he beats people um and it never was it never was it was always about objects doors in particular for some unknown reason um but I would always lose my cool. I would go from from zero to 100 miles an hour in one moment, and and things would get broken. That carried on probably throughout my my teenage years, certainly. And then when I was 20, I had a friend who was at university. Went to university. He started in the September '93. Uh, my friend Ollie, and he went back to university in the January of of 94 and that was on the monday on the sunday and then on the friday i got a phone call from a mate of mine to say he died so suddenly in 1994 there's this this thing lands where somebody else has has gone and -hmm. this is someone i'm very close to and 94 is was was a mess it was it was a mess of a year in many many ways and that's where there, there was even more anger and I talked to my dad about it. It was interesting when I chatted to my dad. He said, you know, he said, you're really unlucky. He said, you're really unlucky that those things happen to you. You know, you've got being in hospital as a child. Then you kind of take that on about, you know, seven, eight years later, you've got what happened to Stuart. Then seven, eight years later, you've got what happened to Wally. And it's just almost like the universe doesn't want to give you a break. Um, But that, that anger kind of followed me right the way through all those usual adult relationships, university, jobs, et cetera, et cetera. But it was always in the background. And family family knew about it. Close friends knew about it. They were really supportive, which was great. But at the same time, they never challenged me on it. And that that's that double-edged sword of, yeah, yeah, they're giving me space to, to basically be angry, but they're not actually turning around saying, actually, is there another way you could do that? And so it followed me through. Um then there's times where it, there's times where it got worse. It it got quite a lot worse than the birth of my children, and and I I I've got an eighteen year old, a fifteen year old, and a thirteen year old now. And I say, well, my daughter was born. The the thing about children is that they they don't kind of get to know you gently. They don't sort of show up and extend their hand and go, "Hi, I am." Let let's let's have a relationship and let's be friends. They just literally jump in there, grab your heart, and that's it. For me, it was just it was just totally overwhelming, and and I noticed that that my my tolerance was low, that my, my temper was worse, that I was angry, that I'd, I'd break things, and that was the first point where I actually engaged with CBT, and that was really useful and it really helped. Second child was easier, third child was 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 easier again, but there was always points where my tolerance would be low, and my and my response was was nine times out of ten with me with me getting angry. And that was until until 2015. And in 2015, my my wife at the time, she basically had enough and said, right, I've had enough of you being angry. Get out. And and first of all, she left. She left with the kids and and the dog. And then my old man turned up on the doorstep and said, yeah, they're, they're safe, but you, you, you've got to go. So I ended up leaving the house for, for two weeks. And that was the point where I went, okay, my behavior means that if I don't do something about this, i'm gonna lose it all and that was the point where i started to go down that you know the, the cheesy personal development route and the journey which we all have and is probably the, the journey i'm on now is why i do what i do now so that's kind of it in a nutshell i think yeah i think, I think it exactly. is and you can kind of you can kind of go in there surgically and unpick all of that
0: okay i'll get my gamma scalpel. <laughs> now i mean my main reflection which i appreciate will be no news to you but um my main reflection is that at these times when you lost your two mates and also when your children came along, those are times of uh, expected heightened emotion, not necessarily anger. You know, Possibly um, people might assume that with the loss of your friends, perhaps it would be extreme upset, lots of crying, lots of that kind of emotion. And then when children come along, it's, I, I remember this sort of rush of, um, I don't know whether I would describe it as joy or whatever, but just rush of emotion. And what strikes me is that for you, it was always anger. Um, And it could have been lots of other things, but it sounds like who knows whether anger served you well in the first instance um, and therefore you returned to, or it was just a habit that in your nervous system, every feeling gets translated as anger.
1: Yeah, because it, it could have been alcohol yeah it, it could have been drugs it, it could have been you know promiscuous activity it could have been anything else it just so happened that that mine was mine was anger and it's it's interesting that you know looking back on it now we, you know we're talking we're talking things which with you know, 50 now we're talking things which have happened over the last sort of 50 years mm-hmm. and and i look at it now from a very different place um and it's taken me. It's taken me quite a bit of work to to get to this place because there's a huge amount of blame which goes with that, and frustration, and you know, and 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 not the compassion which I would, you know, I talk to people about and, and say, well, you, you know, offer compassion to yourself and others. It's like I didn't do that for the longest time to myself, but I look at I look at the way in which I behave, and the way in which I behave is very much about distraction, and. It's not surprising really that I'm trying to distract myself from the experiences of of my past and maybe even the experiences of my future and certainly the last few years is about been getting very much out of here so I can I can talk about this stuff from a headspace perfectly it's 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 things which happened from a memory I can tell you the beats but to feel it oh that's a that's a different thing to take it to take it to the heart and take it to the body and feel it um and that's been a lot of the work I've been doing over recent years is well what what happens if I feel this and I, I'm still not close to to even being at a space where I can say I can I can feel this and feel like I'm I feel like I'm in control of it because I don't think you ever are but to feel that I can actually hold on to this thing and I can work with it it's it, it's as I said to a client of mine recently all, all of my clients are awesome they're they're amazing people who don't yet i oh, haven't yet recognized how good they are and and how amazing they are so I say to them, and i use my glasses case as an analogy, that I'm holding on to your awesome over here, and what I do is I pass it to you, and you hold it for a bit, and you get a feel of it, and you have a look at it, and you check it out, and and when you've kind of gone, that's too much for me, now you hand it back to me. I'm still at the point where I'm kind of picking my you know, my, my emotion and my anger and my feelings up off the shelf and handling, for, handling it for a bit, and then going, no, 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 that's enough now, I'm just going to put it back over there and I'm going to go off and do something else. And there's still behaviours which show up now um, in terms of distraction and and work and and things like that. You know, I, I find that I make myself excessively busy and then get overwhelmed. The difference is now that whereas that overwhelm before would have led to me losing my shit and breaking something, now it doesn't. And it's actually really – it's a really nice place to be. It's actually really quite light and quite freeing. Um. Yeah, it's been it's been a very interesting experience and a very interesting journey.
0: I want to talk to you about that that nicer phase that you're in, but I just want to share actually, Dave, the bit that I relate to in your story, which might surprise people, um, is the the anger emotion coming out in relation to children and your your glasses case analogy. Um so for me, I, I remember telling people afterwards I never knew what. Depth of or heights of anger i could go to until i had children and it was never at times where anger was the expected emotion i totally relate to you that you sometimes just the strength of emotion anger was the outcome which i never would have predicted and i really hated it. um and there was also a point actually for me where i decided i wanted to try and pick this apart a little bit and i worked with a psychotherapist and this will make you smile Dave he asked me to create a process for myself um, and my way of uh, my process was I said okay there's this there's this sphere in front of me it's like a bubble and there are colors in it Hmm. and all the colors represent different emotions and anger is really acid green Um, and I don't like it being in there um, but my process is I'm going to intensify that colour and I'm actually going to allow more, it's like smoke. I'm going to let more of this acid green smoke in there. And it was in this you know, really intense session and he was just letting me go with it. And said, what do you want to do with it? And I just mimed this process of getting this sphere and putting it inside my stomach and seeing if I could let it be there with all the others, with all the other colours as well. Um, and... Like you actually, I I use a version of that with clients and you know, whatever emotion it is we're trying to accept, I'll get them to describe the colour and intensify it and then see just like you with your glasses case, you know, can you A put it inside you and you get to decide how long you keep it there and, and when you let it out again. So really interesting that we both came to a very similar uh, sort of way to work with clients on it and for ourselves. Yeah.
1: So it's, it's interesting how we and and there's no there's no right or wrong way to it. And I, I know when and one of the things about me me speaking about anger, I, I thought it was like I thought that was, you know, an end of career. It was like friends are just turn around and go, right, get out. We don't want anything to do with you. And it was it was it was it, it was taking the doors off the closet and expo- ex- exposing the skeletons to the world. And what happened, as as you know, as happens with all of these things, is as soon as you turn around and say, "This is what I've been going through. This has been my experience," a number of people turn up and go, "Thank you for that, because that's what we've been through as well." Or, you know, that's the experience we've had, and and actually, we thought we were alone. And and the thoughts we shot. I mean, your 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 story then about the depth of anger that you go to with children. I mean, I mean. Working in A and E as a nurse, I, I've seen some horrendous things which have been done by by parents to children. Absolutely horrendous. And we we had training on, you know, how to spot the signs of, um, of of abuse of children and and absolutely horrendous stuff. You have children of your own, and you you get a very different perception of or perspective on what it's like to be at you know, two o'clock in the morning or even two o'clock in the afternoon and have a child which doesn't want to go to sleep and will not shut up or will not eat food. And you're, you're pushed, you're sleep deprived and you're pushed to the limit. And you, for a moment you go I now understand why people cross that line. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's scary because you're like, I never thought that I, you know, I, I could potentially be that person. Yes, it's definitely. just that you have that line there. There's, there's a, there's a line there. And some people, some people cross it, but it doesn't take much to cross it for some people
0: no sorry to talk over you then i was just going to say it, it i think it also has this weird close relationship with intense love and you know and that's confusing to yeah. have this being for which you a never thought you could experience such intense love and then this intense anger comes out with it which is really crazy yeah. i i'm just wondering you know with your story and the um the anger being in related- in relation to the circumstances that you talked about, particularly with losing your friends, do you think if you had displayed extreme upset, that other people's um, process with you might have been different?
1: It's a really good question. Um, I think I think for, I think think thinking back, and this is you know this is this is kind of speculation in the moment more than anything else. We're talking nineteen eighty eight. We're, we're talking. we I've got parents who probably wouldn't know how to deal with with that anyway. I mean, what, what do you do? What do you do with uh, with a fourteen year old child who's been exposed to to what's gone on? You know, you don't. There's, there's no rule book for parenting. And I'm, you know, I, I mean, think the biggest realization of me around parenting was realizing that my parents were still making it up now, um, and and I thought they had it all sorted. I think it would have been hard to have really displayed that level of upset um and and also you know it's touching on some of the stuff we've talked about on on online before around around you know men and boys and and what they show in terms of emotion what they what they display you know boys don't cry and all that kind of stuff um i don't cry i mean I, i cry cry on occasions i cried at the end of the avengers films in the cinema because that was that was properly sad um and I allow myself to to feel a lot more than I ever did, but then no, I wouldn't wouldn't have done it. And I, I it's interesting. Like the one of the places I worked as well, I worked in a news agent, and it was it was on a paper round that from the same news agent I worked at where where Stuart was abducted. And I remember there was a in the news agent there was actually a petition to to bring back the death penalty, and uh, for the guy who who did it. And I, and I remember there was such anger at the time. It's like, did I sign it? Absolutely. You know, do I think about it now? Would Would I sign it again? Absolutely not, because now, you know it's a very different place. But it was more about that kind of anger response than anything else. I don't think yeah, breaking down, showing emotion, showing vulnerability, crying—it it wouldn't have even been on my radar.
0: So interesting because I. Yeah. That was a loaded question for me. My assumption was you were going to go, yeah, if I'd been crying and upset, then people would have felt sorry for me, and my parents would have talked that through with me, and it would have been easier. And actually, what I hear in your answer is actually anger was the more acceptable um, option. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and also as well, I mean, I I I'm going to I'm going to say that that back then I don't know whether there was any support offered. I don't I don't remember there being this. Let's offer counselling if it's available to to any of the kids at the school. Or to any of the parents in the village. And we were in a, a village then where the population at that point was something like seven and a half thousand. So so people, people knew people, parents knew parents, parents knew kids, kids knew parents. It was very, very much a community. But I don't recall anything ever being offered. Now now when something like that happens, you know, there's some and, and even even things where you know, it's it's comparative suffering. Who's to say that anything feels less or more of a an emotional response? Where, where's the continuum where's the scale of what is worse than something else because it's a very subjective thing but now there would be offers of counseling and therapy and and people would be brought into group stuff or, or singular stuff then absolutely nothing absolutely nothing and I, I think that would have made a made a huge difference yeah. to to our experience to have been able to to talk about it and it's interesting. I I, I approached the I actually approached the school I was at at the time, and Stuart was at, and I actually approached them earlier this year and said, "Look, this has been my experience. Do you want me to come in and and have a conversation with the kids, not just about about that experience, but about the fact that you know things happen at school, and here I am, x number of years later, and and a fairly integrated member of society, um, not totally." Um, but, it, but for other reasons as well, things around you know be, being a bloke and, and working in healthcare and, and that kind of stuff as well. And I haven't heard anything back. I and I think I haven't heard anything back because they don't quite know what to do. They're like, well, actually, do we do we have this conversation or do we do we just kind of gently brush it under the table? So even now, I think there's an element of what do we do with this?
0: Yeah, interesting. And the the you made um, brief reference, Dave, to what we were talking about before, and it's something that. You followed, uh, picked up on a thread of mine on LinkedIn. Um, so for people listening uh, last week or the week before, I can't remember, I shared a Guardian article by Caitlin Moran. Um, she's written a book. I can't remember the name of the book. I can find it and put it in the notes. But the article was really interesting because Caitlin Moran is known to most people as being very funny but also being a feminist. Um, and she was very much taking on the mantle with this article of saying, hold my hands up kind of forgotten about men and boys and she talked a lot about um, how it is being uh, particularly a, a boy growing into a man today it was the gist of the article um, and the sort of struggle with identity um, and uh, really the article for me was around shining a light on boys thrashing around probably at the moment trying to find out what they're supposed to be, what's acceptable, um, yeah, who who it's okay to be in 2023 as a as a man or a boy. Um and you commented and picked up on that and something clearly resonated. Um I asked you before we started recording today whether you whether you thought these were two separate conversations or whether it related to entering they were they were integrated. What was it about that article
1: that made your ears prick up? I it, it it's interesting, yeah. Being being a, being an ex nurse, being a podiatrist, working in in healthcare um, as as a bloke is interesting. You know, you look at you look at nursing statistics, and I'm I'm gonna I'm, I'm from these are what I've read. I don't know exactly what that whether they're right, but you take nursing for example, ninety percent female, ten percent male, and there's lots of conversations about but what it's like to be a woman in the modern world there's lots of focus on you know making or, or helping people to become more um you know chief executives of female and, and and equality and equity and all those things and i think it's absolutely fantastic when i was 14 you know when i was a teenager it was a very simple path you you were you were a boy you did certain things in a certain way when you became a man you you probably got married had kids you were likely to be the breadwinner very much as 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 parents had been and 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 have been for many many years that all shifted very very quickly and and it's and it's like trying to build a house on sand it's it's like well actually what what's the right thing to do now because everything seems to be wrong but certainly going into healthcare there's there seems to be a lot of conversations around how do you support women in environments which are male dominated but there's not many conversations about how do you support men in 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 industries and and places where it's female dominated, mm. and so I've, I've got some, I've got a friend Andrew who speaks quite a lot on men's mental health. I follow his stuff, and his stuff's really interesting. And he he brings up these discussions, and he recommended a book to me, which is I've got it over here, "Of Boys and Men" by Richard Reeves, which came out this year, which is which is a really fascinating read. Um, and also earlier this year, no, it was late last year actually for International Men's Day i was asked if i would go and deliver a men's only mindfulness and meditation session at a, a local yoga place and i went yeah absolutely not knowing what what would come from it and also feeling absolutely shit scared that mm-hmm. because i was going to put my hand in the air and say let's do something for men that that suddenly I was just going to be you know cancelled and and I was going to be in trouble because it's like we ever what about the women and it's like hey okay fair enough you know I think I think mindfulness and meditation helps everyone I think my coaching and everything I do can help everyone but in that moment it was just let's like, see what we can do with 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 blokes on their own and it was fascinating it was absolutely fascinating because all the blokes talked about the same kind of things they talked about their fears and their worries they talked about the stuff which they couldn't say openly. They, they, you know, they, the majority of the room were, were white middle class, so, okay, we've got a very particular subset, which is associated with, you know, being a group of people who probably don't have to worry about too much, who were actually saying that they they worry about things. And it was like, okay, so where, where do you go with this? What, what do you do with this information? And I've I've said to I've got two boys, fifteen and thirteen, and they are. In fact, we had a conversation the other day when they came down here and they they were were pulling out some vegetables in my garden, and we were chatting about stuff, and they were talking about Andrew Tate. Mm -hmm. And it's like you know, for me, I, I look at what Andrew Tate does, and I'm like, I do not want to go and play in that arena. That for what he's talking about is just horrendous. I mean, you want misogyny, even a very, very gentle description of what it is, Andrew Tate appears in the dictionary. But they're 15 and 13, and they're being exposed to stuff. And if they haven't got good role models, and if they haven't got something which will make sense for them, where they can go, okay, what what's really going on here? They will pick on the thing which speaks to them. And I think Andrew Tate is, is from a marketing perspective, he's doing an amazing job of, Talking to young men and boys Mm. from a very powerful place, and that's quite scary. I'm going off. I'm going off off, on pace here a little bit, but there's there's been lots of things that have popped up for me where I've gone, okay, I need to, I need to look at this in a bit more detail. I need to understand why I feel the way about this. Why why I would feel guilt talking about it. Why I would feel guilt, you know, thinking about it. What what do I say in conversations? What what's what's right and what's wrong? You know, there's so many kind of things popping up in my head. But one of the things which was really interesting, and it came from the the, the Reeves book more than anything else, is we have all these conversations about let's help women. And I'm going to say at this point, yeah, we're we're talking we're talking kind of sex at this point, male and female. We're, we're not talking genders, which is a whole other ballpark, and and not to ignore the other genders which are out there because that's even more complex. But something Reeves talked about in his book is that we spend all this time talking about how do we get females into the STEM profession, so science, technology, engineering, uh, mathematics, but no one talking about how do we get men into the heel profession, so healthcare, education, administration, and learning. And it, it was interesting. I was at an event at a local college recently, a, a Chamber of Commerce event, and I, and I asked them a question. I said, um, "I said, how are you managing you're you're getting kind of men into these professions you know do you have anything specific which you work on with that and I'm like not really okay maybe that's a conversation to have so i think it's there's been lots of little things which have popped up for me and 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 like most things i'm going i don't know where to start with this Mm -hmm. you know i don't know what's the right thing to say and and i think there's a really good conversation to be had here and i don't even know where to begin with
0: it no and you're so right about um the fact that that whole area is full of landmines um mm. that it would be a brave person to just you know, head out unprotected uh, into that area and i was just thoughtful actually while you were talking about healthcare um and you're absolutely right it's a female-dominated profession and yet there are numerous examples and stories of almost extreme pantomime misogyny <laughs> within healthcare um uh, i'm thinking of um that this is going to hurt book and series and you know the, the consultant character displayed there and you know, i know that you won't want to dismiss um those scenarios which are real and awful for not just women actually but um, more more junior people in healthcare as well um but you're right and um my when i posted that article i put something at the top around we seem to think that um, uh, feminism is a zero-sum game where you know one side rises, the other has to naturally fall. Um, and that seems to have been the game we've been playing with feminism um, more recently. And what I like about Caitlin Moran and, and modern feminists like her is that there's this conversation starting to arise of, OK, quite rightly, we have raised women up. Now, how do we integrate um, and make sure that we're also raising men and boys, and we're working out who we are together? You know, the the new man and woman. How do they integrate? Not how does one push the other down? Um, because you know, both can be such better versions. And again, together, yin and yang. Not trying to be the same. Um, not trying to turn one into the other. I'm, I'm going on a rabbit hole there, but. I've said before that as a woman in healthcare and particularly as a physio, strangely, I've often felt a bit genderless Um, and partly the uniforms that we were put into when I qualified, trousers and tunics, really like horrible things. Um, I remember once a comment stuck in my mind from a a patient, it was in Australia, actually. I walked up to him and I said, oh, hi, I'm a physio. He went, yeah, of course you are, you've got short hair and a big bum. Um, that's what physios look like um, and whilst that was you know, an unpleasant comment I was like mm, that's an interesting reflection and you know I, I was always a bit of a tomboy and, and happy to have lots of male friends and happy to sort of play in that sort of arena but I am also quite aware that strangely in healthcare I didn't feel that being overly feminine was particularly welcome and you know, I wonder if that is that I am exactly the same age as you, Dave, and and grew up with the sort of you know rise of the feminist message of you can have it all, and thinking, oh God, you how do I deal with having it all? And does that mean I have to behave like the boys and like a man? It, it's all very confusing, isn't it? Well, oh, so- I mean,
1: it's it, it's hugely confusing, and you know, I know from there has been a huge amount of guilt, even thinking about this stuff. It's like I'm waiting for I'm waiting for you know Tom Cruise to turn up and and shoot me, um, but a bit like minority minority report. Or oh, I'm having these thoughts about stuff. Someone's going to find out there's something going on. It's was a bit like like with the anger. I'm having all this anger. If anyone finds out, that's it. Um, but it, it you know I, I know that as a as a white middle class guy. With you know, no particular money issues and and you know living in a in a place which is nice and not seeing stuff. I mean, I've seen I've seen stuff as a an A and E nurse and as a healthcare professional, you know, the huge kind of stuff. Doesn't mean I have lived experience of it, but I'm aware of it. There's so much I don't know. And the, the challenge now is when you, you speak up on something or you you have a thought about something and say something about it. There's somebody out there who turns around and says, Well, you actually've got no experience of that, so you, you can't have a, a view on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never flown a helicopter, but you know, I can I can imagine it's hard work. What I'm always up for i think this is this is a skill which which school needs to have it's you know there's there's this discernment there's critical thinking and there's the ability to have a conversation on a thing not about not about you know the person not about undermining someone else there's so much in conversation here for th- that i would love to have because i don't know what the answer is
0: mm-hmm.
1: i know that i'm speaking from a place of of of, of you know pretty decent relative privilege um I joke with my—I don't think it is actually a joke, really. A joke with my two lads that you know they may well become a marginalised group in the future, and that's that's going to be very interesting. They're going to have there. I mean, whatever I have to navigate now, they're going to have to navigate a huge amount. But there's so many conversations to to open up here about the experience of of what it's like to be a particular sex or gender in a particular location, and I. I still remember as a student nurse, I can't remember it was on the vascular surgery, vascular yeah, vascular surgery ward at Dudley Road Hospital in Birmingham. Me being a six foot plus student nurse with long hair at the time, which is quite hard to believe, with a a very petite female nurse, and the the, the person we were talking to turned around to me and thought I was the, the senior nurse and and started talking to me, and I went no no no, she's in charge. I'm the student nurse. You need to have that conversation. But I'll openly admit that there have been times as a podiatrist when I've been there wearing a, a shirt as a band seventeen leader with some other podiatrists who are probably more qualified than me. And have I abused that position that they think that I've got more power? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's got them to do what's needed to be done. It's yeah, it's it's finding that balance as mm. to as to what do you talk about, what do you say, how do you approach it. And, and and also, you, you you talk about the zero sum game that for this person to win, this person has to lose. Well, what about if this person can win and this person can win? Mm. And and oh, there's so there's so much kind of you know, banging around my head at the moment. It could just I could just just blah, and and will make no sense of it. So
0: that's all right. I don't mind if you want to do more of that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it could be yeah. Three hours later. Yeah,
0: podcast. <laughs> um, no, well, definitely something i i'm happy to return mm-hmm. to and like you i sort of you know i have a son and a daughter um and you know they are exploring this modern world in various ways both of them um, to a greater or lesser extent but my son has, has actually said the same that he sometimes feels like he's being pushed into a marginalized area but also recognizes his extreme privileges yeah strange uh strange situation it, so, it's t- it's
1: tough actually and and I the I was chatting to a, to a friend of mine who's he's a hypnotherapist by trade, but he's much much more than that. He he properly fixes people's heads, and he put a post up I think it was on Facebook where he was saying that he was he was really quite worried because the conversations he was having with younger men about how they feel they couldn't and go and have conversations with with females because they were so scared of what might happen. Sorry. Excuse me. And they, they were so scared of, you know, they might go up and say, Hi, how are you doing? And then get accused of something. And it was it was this genuine sort of shit. You know, are we are we at that point where people can't have a conversation because they're scared that they're going to get accused of of an ulterior motive or doing something? Um, and I I, I think about it in context of and it may want to change now and I'd be happy to be corrected. As a as a male nurse and and certainly towards the the latter end of my career and as a as a male podiatrist, there were always times where you'd go in and say, "Okay, I'm a male podiatrist. You're a female patient. Um, do you need a chaperone?" Mm. I don't ever remember it being the other way around. I don't ever remember being a male patient and having a female come in and say, "We've got to do this. Um, do you need a chaperone?" It was always assumed that a chaperone was required when it was a male practitioner and a female patient, Mm -hmm. and and that you know I look at that now and think that's you know that okay I I get it I get it that there must be statistics out there which mean that that needs to be done, but I think like most of most of healthcare and most of the health service, it's not about doing things to protect people, it's about doing things to tick boxes. It's about you know I'm I'm. thought popped into my head now my my dad has a um he's getting his blood pressure monitored he's on he's on beta blockers and various other drugs and they've sent him through a form which he needs to complete and then send back in to show uh, you know readings twice twice two readings twice a day um for his blood pressure and i'm going okay well what's going to change with that they're not doing it because they're worried about your blood pressure they're doing it because they're worried that if they don't do it they'll lose funding or they're not, you know, they're not going down the governance route, and there'll, there'll be some problems. And it just becomes this layer upon layer of mm-hmm. stuff about: we, Are we doing things really because it makes a difference, or are we doing things because we have to look like we're doing things? But that's a whole—that's a whole other discussion. That's that's podcast number twelve of us. <laughs> a,
0: yeah, one hundred and twelve. It's interesting that the thing about you asking if you, have, you, know, you what you were hinting at—that if you're a female going into a should we be asking them for a chaperone? Um, I've been watching um, Bad Sisters on Apple+, Plus, which I don't know if you've seen it, but the premise is of these five Irish sisters and one of them is married to an absolutely hideous bloke and he is displayed in a really uh, um, explicit way that he's a deeply unpleasant person. Um, And the premise of the the series is um, these sisters trying various ways to bump this um, brother-in-law off uh, and it's very funny, it's very well done, and, and you know, I'm sure there's a big twist coming at the end. Lots of people would have seen it. Um, I'm not going to give a spoiler because I haven't got to the end. But my husband just quietly said at the end, mm, I wonder if anyone would be brave enough to make a series where five men kill their sister in law. And uncomfortable moment, you know. I think he's right. I think that would be I'm probably not there yet. Um, right. Let's bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's real, real dive back in. No, and me too. And the trouble is, I. Like- Happily go there with anybody that wants to go down any rabbit hole. Or real is both back. Um, yeah, I said I wanted to talk to you about sort of the the next phase for you with anger, because it sounds like you know, I hear you're still in therapy, you're still um working with it. But what, what's changed for you around anger?
1: Uh, it's interesting that that when I speak about this, um I've got a showcase I do for Professional Speaking Association and I talk about the one thing which changed everything, and I think the one thing which changed everything for me was 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 finding a space between whatever was going on in the world and me being angry, and me and me responding by breaking things. And so, there's if you ever read the book Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, he talks about between stimulus and response, there's a there's a there's a gap. Now I. When I spoke about this on stage in 2018, I, I talked about that, but I'd never read Man's <laughs> Search for Meaning*. And I started talking about this stimulus and response as a gap, and then went back and thought, "God, have I been channeling Viktor Frankl by mistake and not going to going? It's it's his work, not mine." But it was this realization of of going right. There's something where I am I'm responding to something in anger now. I would have said there's something that is making me angry, but I know now, 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 no, that's not the truth. It's like n- no one can make you feel anything without your permission. There are things out there which will put you into a place where your response is likely to be anger, but on the whole, you choose how you want to respond. So, slowing things down, mindfulness was huge, meditation was huge, being aware of my internal state, but also having an awareness of what was going on in my world. So I I have an element of O C D which which pops up occasionally, particularly on checking doors and checking security. And I know this goes right the way back to to childhood and my dad leaving doors open and things like that, front door and stuff like that. So so I know when my O C D starts to play up or I, I spend a bit more time checking the door, it's like that's the cue for me to go, okay, what what's going on here? Is there too much going on? Is there too much stress? Have I taken on too much? Am I overwhelmed? Which which is a perpetual state for me anyway, which is is part, part of the fun of being me. But now I recognize it and I go, okay, there's something going on here. I can give myself a bit of space. And I give myself permission to, to, to do less or I give myself permission just to kind of shut the world out or go and stick the PlayStation on or go out for a walk or go and have a coffee somewhere or go and sit and read a book. Whereas before i I wouldn't have done that. So there's a huge element for me in 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 the space. You're finding this space between stimulus and response. and i've I've been through the the disassociation process, which I think a lot of people do with mindfulness, which is, oh, I don't feel anger. Anger is not an emotion which which pops up on my you know my my lexicon and menu of 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 emotions. And I realized how shitty that was because then it meant I was feeling nothing because anger is is purely an emotion it's, it's what you choose to do with it so now i find i find a lot of amusement in it uh and i, and I play games i play i play games with it and I, I do this with clients so i had a client who who we were talking about road rage so i get this really really bad road rage I said, okay well, well first of all you know thank you for acknowledging that secondly what do you think it is which causes the road rage? And, I, and I've had that. I've had road rage in the past where someone someone overtakes me. How dare they? I must hunt you down and I must I must find your firstborn and I must make them pay. And it, and it becomes like this Klingon ritual of death almost. Whereas now I'll kind of say, okay, have a think about where this comes from. What else is going on with your life which has reduced your tolerance level so you're going to take it out on some random stranger? They're dehumanized and depersonalized because you don't know their name. And you don't know what's going on in their world. You're, you're kind of intersection with them at this point where it's like, this is where I am and this is where they are. But I've got no idea what's going on for that. So I play games. It's like, give them a name, you know, John or, or Jane or whatever whatever name you want to give them. And then make up a story about why they might be doing that thing. So it could be that that John has cut you up because he's, he's in a real hurry to get to a shop before it closes. Now, this shop is actually selling him his dress because he's going on stage tonight to do his first ever drag show. So at the moment, that's his focus, and he's really worried about that because it's the first time that he's worn a dress on stage, and he's worried that he's not going to be able to get heels to fit him because he's got quite big feet. And I'll say this to people, and they'll start laughing, and it's like, well that could be just as as true as the fact that in the moment where you get road rage, you think that they have got some personal vendetta against you. And and suddenly it just becomes a, a quite, quite a light thing where you realize that actually most of the things which you think are focused on you and people are doing things to annoy you and people are doing things because they don't like you, they've got absolutely nothing to do with you at all. You're just spending the time making them about you. So for me, there's a huge amount of lightness in that it's it's my, my my oldest lad i separated from from my wife during covid which which has been a huge thing in terms of identity and and you know who am i at 50 and single it's like i have no idea because the whole dating world has changed and it's like i do i talk to anyone i don't know what am i am i am i really that sexuality i thought i was all those years i don't know there's just so much there but i was talking to him and he he had a really good observation which was he said you seem more relaxed he said, you, you don't worry about things. And I said to him, I said, look, I said, I do worry. I said, I am a worrier right at my core. I said, I just realise now that I have less that I need to worry about because I can't control half of it. I can't control 95% of it. So I control very, and I worry about th- a very, very small subset of what, what I could. And that was that was really interesting having that conversation with him about what he'd noticed. And and there's a real lightness which comes with that. It's, it's really quite fun and the other thing about you know going through the separation a couple of years ago is that the the version of dave who if i'd have separated in 2014 2015 it would have been a mess it would i mean it may it may well be a mess now and i just haven't noticed because i'm just ignoring half of it but it would have been a very very different different outcome now i look at it and i go i don't like that i don't like what's happened but actually i know that if i look back on this in 4 or 5 years time i'll look at it and go that was a pivotal moment and it led to this 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 and this and that's and that's quite a freeing thing is to look at it and go okay i can think about this in a very different way
0: is it true to say that if you had separated in 2014 2015 it would have been about your anger
1: yeah absolutely and it, and it may well it may well be that the separation in in 2020 is still about my anger um lots of conversations came out of that which is really interesting particularly around i don't think i've ever talked about this actually openly but i'm going to because it's it's fine to talk about it um conversations i had around with my ex in particular around she said that she behaved in a particular way around me to avoid me getting angry so there's huge there's huge questions in identity around there about well i think everything's okay i'm I'm getting angry and and then. I withdraw for a period of time because I'm scared of getting angry again. And then actually everything seems to integrate. And I think, oh, everything's okay now. But actually it's not because the other person is behaving in a particular way to avoid that response. And I totally get that. I mean, you know, I'm 6'2". I'm my, my ex is 5'2". And while, while not a, a meek individual by any means she was doing everything she could to protect her and protect the kids and if that means behaving in a particular way to avoid an outcome and it, it didn't avoid an outcome but it, it, it means that you're having a conversation with somebody you don't truly know mm-hmm. so yeah it could be that the the separation now is is still down to down to that i don't know it's it's a really it's a really hard one to unpick and half of this stuff will only come out in the wash in in a few years time mm-hmm. But yes. I'm I'm cool with I'm cool with the fact that it, it's always a bit cheesy. That everything happens for a reason, you know. That's very kind of just just sit back and let the universe do it do its stuff. But but actually, the, the way I view this and the way I package it and the way I kind of interpret it can be either for something fantastic, freedom and opportunity and and and, and bravery and curiosity, or it can be inconvenience and, and a pain in the arse and, and hatred and anger. It, it can be whatever I want it to be. And and it's not to say that there aren't still some times where I sit there and go, I really don't like this, you know, and I don't understand this. And and that's part of the therapy process as well. But it, it's it's that reframing which has made a huge difference. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm just thoughtful about, you know, in a long marriage, um, people change and yet you're right, there are significant moments where um identities and thoughts about yourself and the other person are embedded. And you know, who's to say that it's even reasonable to expect two people in a marriage to be able to make that shift and stay together even if things have changed for the better because there is so much in the marriage, in the nervous system of those two people. They're deeply embedded, isn't there?
1: Oh, it's huge. It's it's huge. And it, it comes down to identity again. You know, the, the, the version of me a few years ago, a few years ago, never, never thought that there would be a marriage which would be anything other than a marriage. Mm-hmm. Whereas I look at it now and go, okay, not exactly where I'd want to be, but at the same time, it's like actually it makes perfect sense. You know, we we live longer than we, we ever have in the past, and maybe that well that may not continue in generations to come. We'll have to see with the amount of diabetes and heart disease out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but is it a a reasonable expectation to believe that you would be with somebody and you'd be with someone throughout your entire life. I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. And, and and that's, that's where the identity questions come into it. What reference point do I have? My parents who've been married, what, what seems to be an eternity. Um, but do we do things the way that they've done things? Very different world. So yeah, there's so much, there's so much in there. Mm-hmm. God, just like how long you got? Yeah, I'll get, I'll get I'll get the kettle on. Let's carry on talking.
0: Well, I, I do love your um, your two reflections on anger, and I think if people are you know are curious about their own anger or anger of people they live with, work with, those two things you said, creating that gap between stimulus and response, which you know I think when we have phrases like the red mist came down, there's this temptation to that there is no space and um, I've used it as an excuse myself like I couldn't have helped that you know I was angry before I knew it there was no point at which I could have stopped that cascade um, and to an extent I think that's true um, but I think what you alluded to and which I can really agree with is that it's more about the preparation so accepting that actually yes for most of us whether it's tipping into anger or depression or anxiety or whatever if you think of a graph there's probably a bit where we start to go down a narrow sleep, and then for most of these situations there's a big drop off and yet at that point asking someone to employ one of our lovely coaching tools or do a bit of mindfulness is probably not going to get them back yeah, that yeah. but if we're honest there is work most of us can do earlier on in that slight downward phase and um, you said for you it's when you your OCD kicks in I've shared on uh, many podcasts within conversations that for me when I start trying to fix every single person in my life I know that I'm in that overwhelmed state and I'm doing too much that's a trigger for me to go okay you're about to flip into something less acceptable than just fixing people so um, let's just sort this out a little bit so um, I think what I hear there is Yeah, there there is something we can do in that gap between stimulus and response. It may not be actually in that moment, but there's stuff we can do to try and lessen the likelihood that we're going to keep plummeting down that deep gradient. Um, And then I absolutely love your story of creating um, quirky, slightly amusing stories about other people, um, maybe deeply emotive stories about other people to make us humanise them, as you say
1: um i think those are two really really helpful techniques i think yeah, you have to you have to have fun with it um if you if you ever if you ever look at the the work around creating a, a memory palace and and you know memorizing a deck of cards or so those kind of things they, they talk about memories as basically being quite graphical and often rude and those are the way which you which you remember things <laughs> and, and that that plays very beautifully into to my a and e days of uh, of a, a very kind of you know dodgy humor in order to cope with whatever you're dealing with. So I've got I've got an analogy which might work and I've just I've just been thinking about this while you while you were talking that I like car analogies. I always like a car analogy. So the, the the version of me before we we're getting angry was that I would I would jump in the car, park on the drive, I would slam the accelerator down to the grounding gear, I would drive across the lawn and across the lovely flower beds and then smack straight into a wall. And I would say, oh, I don't know what happened. The car just did it. It was nothing to do with me. <clears throat> now, I I get in the car. I let the handbrake down. I put it into gear. I drive, not at a very fast pace. I drive across the drive, over the lawn, over the, over the beautiful flowers. And then I might drive into the wall. The difference now is I can actually spot each of those actions. So it might be that there's a point where I go, I'm not even going to let the handbrake off because I know where this is going. I'm going to actually get back out of the car. I'm going to walk. I'm going to, going to have a bit of fresh air. I'm going to go and do something different. There might be times where the handbrake's off, it's in gear, I've put the accelerator down, and I'm already on the flower bed. But then I've hit the brakes, and I haven't gone into the wall. And then the only job is to turn around and go, yeah, okay, I went further than I'd want to, but I didn't go into the wall, and then have the conversation about why that might have happened. And and I'm I'm thinking about, you know, the times where I would get quite grumpy with the kids and and they would get they would get a you know quite an angry response from me and and last year when I was away with I was away with my boys for for a couple of days in London um, and my youngest was struggling he was he was struggling with it being quite busy in London and and I, I I probably struggle with it being quite busy in London as well plus I've got these two lads who I'm taking around with me and I know that my kind of tolerance was was quite low and and I was quite grumpy with him in a restaurant. And, and there were tears and all kinds of stuff. And I remember saying to him after something, really, yeah, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to take it that, that far. And and this is why I did it. And it was actually the opportunity to have a conversation around it. The other side to that was it was me going and having a conversation with me and going, you're not a failure as a dad. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're doing something which is actually for many people is perfectly natural, but you've actually opened up and had that conversation because it's very easy for me in the past to turn around and go, you are a shit dad. Yes, you, know, you shouldn't have done that. That just shows what you're like. You've, you and and there's always a fear of, what if I go back to being that angry person that I was before? And the reality is that the angry person is still there. That doesn't, that doesn't change. You know, if we if we use a Hulk analogy, Bruce Banner doesn't stop being the Hulk because you know the Hulk doesn't show up. The Hulk's still there. It's it's that conversation you have, and it's where you take it. And yeah. if that
0: comes out in some way there's you know here there's more work to do with yourself after the event as well around being compassionate rather than um, berating yourself
1: there's always work to do there's always work to do damn it
0: <laughs> um so final question dave and bring it back to healthcare um okay because you actually brings it right back to the start you, you talked about professional identity and you know almost i don't think you actually said this but um mm. i got the impression you're saying it almost there's this, there's this persona that you have to keep up all the time as a health professional and maybe in our own heads all the time We're not even with patients. So is there any scenario or does anger have any place within the health in healthcare? Is it ever acceptable to display any modicum of anger as a health? It's a nice, easy question to finish with yeah yeah
1: so we got this is, this is the half hour answer isn't it um you see ang- anger is just one word to to describe a state and if you if you look at there's a there's a there's a great cushion which my therapist has actually which she gets me to hold occasionally and but on it has got different words for different states and there's about six different states and then you've got different and it's split so it's like six different states. Um, each state will go into like three different areas, and each of those three areas will maybe have about five different words. And you know, anger is just one of those things. I I would say that you know, anger and frustration can be pretty close. Um, tiredness, you know, there's all these things which we'll kind of look into. I think it's understanding the the cause behind it. Is it ever acceptable to be angry at work? I mean, the, the gut reaction is no. Was I ever angry at work? No. Was I ever frustrated at work? Yes. Did I ever say anything which might have pushed things a little bit? Absolutely. Um, did I ever witness a friend of mine in AE um berate somebody um and 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 basically force them out to the waiting room because they, as a patient, they were being a pain in the backside? Absolutely. Um th- there's there's times where your frustration comes out and there's times where you know you're allowed to be frustrated and there's times where actually airing that frustration and saying what's on your mind will really help a relationship i think sometimes in healthcare we're, we're taught that actually we shouldn't do that that we should basically suck all of this up because the patient is the most important person i'm not saying they're not important mm. um but it's a relationship which goes in both directions and sometimes the relationship with the patient is not best served by by holding your tongue sometimes you do actually need to turn around and say exactly what you're thinking and feeling should that be displayed as anger my gut would be no but should it be displayed as a as as a compassion and and compassion in this sense being hey look you know i love you as a human being i appreciate you've got things going on with your life and there's a lot which isn't your fault but you're being a dick And being able to say that to people and hold them accountable for their actions and and that's where i think healthcare healthcare has probably slipped into a place of the customer always being right and actually who who are the experts in the room about all the knowledge and information that with the healthcare person who's the expert about living with that condition well unless the healthcare person's got it it's going to be the patient so you being able to open up and, and speak to people in a way which is which is human and honest and collaborative would would make a huge difference, and probably that would reduce the amount of frustration that healthcare professionals have as well, because they're able to say what what they need to say.
0: Brilliant answer, well navigated, and very humanly and honestly navigated, which I would say has been you throughout this podcast episode. Thank so you. Mean I've
1: dod- you mean I've dodged answers to questions? That's that's.
0: Think you. <laughs> And that's
1: what i appreciate <laughs> no it's I know it's been lovely thank you so much i yeah I, I i i love being able to i love being able to think about these things and it, it's very different talking about it in this way and having questions than me sitting here and bouncing stuff about my head where the only viewpoint i've got is is dave's viewpoint which is not not often wrong but it's also at, at times needs some external stuff so yeah that, that's been really useful thank you
0: People will have really enjoyed listening to you, and, and a lot of people will have found a lot they can relate to and a lot of um helpful uh, thoughts and insights. So, Dave, if people wanted to learn more about you and your work, what are the best ways to find you, get hold of you?
1: So, I have a website which is uh, hello. No, that's my email. Hello at dave the uk is my email. It's always the most difficult question, this one, isn't it? So, hello at dave the coach.co.uk. <laughs> dot what was it co dot uk and then my website is dave the coach dot co dot uk um so you can contact me via via any of those i tend to play on social media i'm on instagram and twitter and uh, we can we can say at this point when this goes out threads because you Ooh. know fomo and all of that although i'm not i'm not even i I've just deleted off my phone i can't even be asked with it um and facebook but the place i play most of all is linkedin that's mm-hmm. where i that's where i post most days that's where i have most of my interactions um, and that's because it works for me I think better as a business it's it's hanging around the people who I want to work with whereas other places tend not to do the same so yeah and and possibly on a on a stage near you if you're at a conference I might be speaking at that conference mm. and if you're a conference organizer and you're looking for someone to speak on these things then I'm always happy to have a conversation
0: <laughs> there you go <laughs> nicely done Boom. you can see your face <laughs> if they're not watching the video Thank you, Dave. Um, I will continue to follow your posts on LinkedIn because I love them. I love the fact that you always make me chuckle as well as write interesting and intelligent things. So I'll continue to do that. And thank you so much for being the guest today.
1: Oh, thank you, Jo. I, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I
0: hope you enjoyed listening to that episode. I hope that if any of it rang true for you or made you think about people that you um, are in relationships with or work with or are friends with i hope that there were things that um gave you food for thought and perhaps some uh, ideas for ways to help and how to move forward it's a topic that i would be really interested to hear your responses on uh, i don't think there are many conversations going on around that in health professionals um, i'd be really interested to, to know your reflections I would also really appreciate if you're enjoying the You Matter podcast uh, and you're able to give a review, uh, particularly on YouTube. If you can give a rating, it helps to boost You Matter up the, the podcast charts and make sure that it's available to you. So um, take care. If you are a health professional, being all things to all people in all spheres of your life, uh, if you occasionally experience anger and that brings up feelings for you then maybe reflect on the things Dave and I were talking about today maybe see if there's some compassion you can find for yourself around anger other people maybe some reframes that um, you can bring about maybe some of Dave's quirky funny stories but ultimately breathe give yourself a break remember that you